This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. We are coming to you live from Austin, Texas, actually in the headquarters of Data.World. We actually just got done with our quarterly all hands. And we are so excited to have our honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with you with tasty beverages in our hands. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. It's weird to look at you here and then here. I know. We can do whatever we want here. So this I'm, is great. I'm Juan Takeda, the principal scientist here at Data.World, and it's always a pleasure. It's Wednesday, middle of the week end of the day, and we get to talk about data. And we have a very special guest today because we're at data.world today, and we wanted to take this opportunity to talk to somebody who has a lot of experience on entrepreneurship, on being a data leader, who's been an, who is an investor. And uh, we are the honest, no BS, non-salesy podcast, and we will continue to be non-salesy even though our guest today is Brett Hurt, who is a CEO of data.world, and here he is. Hey, Brett, everybody. how are you doing? It's an honor to be here with you guys. So like I get to, to work with you. you every day, and then we get to do this podcast together. So I, know. I know. I'm, you know, I'm like your biggest fan on the podcast. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this has been such an amazing, uh, amazing, you know, project by you guys, and you had so many great guests and. I just, I don't even know if I'm worthy. Here, well, we're, but, we're, so, know, I'm try. we're so happy that we get the opportunity to do this, yes. that Data World lets us do this, and that uh, we've always been talking about when's the right time to have Brett on, right? We're at episode, what, 90? This is now? episode 90 today. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, cool. We go. That's really cool. All right, so let's kick it off. All Tell right. them toast. What are we uh, drinking? What are we toasting for today? Tell us. Uh, uh, well, we're toasting for our awesome, uh, you know, progress as a company. Um, we, we, we got that $50 million round. From Goldman Sachs, we've uh, we just had an awesome quarter, doing a lot of good um, in the world as a B Corp, and yeah. So and yeah. actually, we're toasting something really special here. This is a yeah. Tell us about this. So yeah, this, this is, is uh, actually well. Let's get a, a special guest in here. Our, our cameo. We have a yeah. cameo here. Our, our special special guest. This is Sean. Yeah, come on in. Thanks, y'all. First time, long time. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, McCarthy's whiskey. It's from Hood River, Oregon. It's uh, Scottish barley aged in Oregon oak, which is actually true of a lot of scotches mm. in Scotland. But this one is a single malt from Oregon that uh, coming down from Oregon, I thought you'd enjoy. Awesome. Three, three years in, in uh, Oregon oak, fantastic. too. It's got an amazing nose. And, and, you know, this this uh, this oh, was wow. not, you know, That's this good. just kind of happened organically because Sean gave me this bottle today at the all hands and i was really blown away by the gratitude and i just you know i was like let's open this now let's like try it out right now that's so awesome so thanks sean so much Thank for you. sharing with Thank us right. cheers thanks, cheers Brett. yeah cheers so we, we got our funny warm-up question today which is mm, that's good sean this is Very fantastic good. all right recommendations of wine underneath eleven dollars but let's actually put that to 20 because okay good 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 <laughs> to 11's too hard yeah 11's 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 tougher um, but, uh, look, when, when I got married, I had a thousand dollars and my wife had $2,000 and we joke that I had married the older, wealthier woman cause she's six months older than me. Um, <laughs> so we weren't even drinking the wine I'm about to talk about, mm. but the wine I'm about to talk about 
is uh, actually Becker Vineyards, which is in Fredericksburg. And it's the Claret. And it's a really interesting red blend. Um, and the thing that I love about it is that it really surprises people that Texas wine can be so good. Mm. And one of the companies that I um, co-founded and led, um, Bizarre Boys, we would give bottles of that wine at conferences and we would give it and the Bizarre Boys logo was sandblasted into the side of it. Uh, it was very authentic. I mean, it's like a wine I really, really mm -hmm. love. Um, and we'd give it to the biggest influencers at those conferences, people giving keynotes, et cetera. And I would say, hey, there's this, and I'd tell them the story of the wine. I would say, there's this one thing I want you to do. After you try it, just please write me and let me know. And I would get these beautiful emails back where people would say, oh my gosh, I was on the beach with my husband. You know, we tried the wine. We were blown away by how good Texas wines can be. Um, and I would say what you just did is what Bizarre Voice is all about. It's all about mm -hmm. word of mouth. Bizarre Voice means the voice of the marketplace. And I was like, that's what your customers are doing every day. That's um, such a cool idea. And so it's a, yeah. It and it was really under $20. And it's, and it's actually, it's like, <laughs> it's like 15, 16. There we go. I, I, I'm with you that. I, I yeah. really and, like Becker's. And, you know, Becker's you and I are both in Becker's, the wine club. Yep, for Becker. So, yeah. uh, so the cheers to Texas wine on yeah. that. Cheers to Texas wine. How about you? Yeah. What is your under $20? So my under 20, um, I, I, I was thinking about this, you know, I was like, you know what? The Costco box cab actually ain't too bad. So if you're looking <laughs> yeah. for something cheap, it's good for cooking. It's good for drinking. <laughs> for all of us. Have a good finish. Though, does it have it a good does finish? have a good finish. It's a little on the sweet right. side, as box wine sometimes is. All right. Well, let's kick this off. Honest, no BS. So, Brett, um, you've had a very long career, and companies have, or data companies that actually have gone through very hard economic times, right? You did it through dot com in 9-11. That was core metrics. You did Bizarre Voice, went through the Great Recession. So you've really been through a lot of this stuff. What is your honest, no BS recommendations for data leaders and entrepreneurs who are probably going to go through these economic times that seem to be starting to be hard right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it, it might be helpful to just walk through a bit of my career as it as it pertains to that, because mm -hmm. it, 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 it'll allow me to answer the question much more completely. Yeah, please. Um, so at Core Metrics, you know, the, the sky was just kind of raining money when we started that company, including for our customers. And what CoreMetrics did is it built the world's largest data warehouse for clickstream behavior. Mm -hmm. Sorry, um, and for context, what year is this? This was in 1999. Okay, okay mm -hmm. so we're at the almost the apex of the dot-com boom. And this is pre-Google Analytics and all that kind of this stuff. This is pre-Google yeah. Analytics. Google didn't enter the space until many years later when they bought Urchin and then rebranded that as Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. And um, and so anyways, this was, this was a time where it was very easy to raise money, but I was a first-time entrepreneur in the sense of raising money. I'd bootstrapped my first three companies, so I had been an entrepreneur and kind of cut my teeth on that. But uh, but it was actually my e-commerce business that birthed core metrics because I needed these metrics for myself and my parents were retail entrepreneurs from the time I was born. So I was used to growing up in an environment where I understood the customer because I worked in the stores. I would ask them, like, how did you hear about us? I could see when they were navigating the store. 
how they ran into problems. We need to change the layout. Um, and the leadership paper that, that I wrote at Warden was on Sam Walton about his book, Made in America, mm. where he was talking about how important it is to really understand what the customer is doing in the store. And he would go to the point of disguising himself as a customer so people wouldn't know it's Sam Walton. So he could really get the no BS yeah. truth, you know, kind of first, first, you know, data, like, you know, directly of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, it so give me one second, but th this is really important because sure. we talk about this all the time is like, you got to understand the end user. You got to understand the, the, the business user. And in the data space all the time, we're always talking about the tech side, the tech users. Yeah. And it, this is an example of just, we really need to go and understand who is the end user what is their problem? What is their pain? Right. And this is something that honestly, we sometimes live in this data bubble, which is annoying. Right. And I want, we know we're going to talk about all the jargons and stuff like that and how yeah, we live in sure. this data, yeah. data bubble. But yeah, I just wanted to make that point here. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. I'm, I'll never forget when, um, you know, I was in the car with uh, one of our customers. Um, I guess I shouldn't name them uh, just because it could implicate <laughs> them, but, but it's one that, is one of the largest retailers in the world. Okay, I'll just say that. And one of the most iconic brand names for retailers at one point in American history. And I was I was driving with uh I was you know passenger, but he was driving with the head of e-commerce, the SVP of e-commerce, and I was telling the Sam Walton story. I was telling how he was growing up, and he got really angry and just hit his hand on the dash. And he says, you know what our problem is? Not a single executive would even step into our store and actually see what's going on. He's like, we have no clue. And he's like, we have no humility. And that company um, ended up just having a pretty terrific or terrifying downfall hmm. because they did it's not. Terrific. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> exactly. Because they did not understand yeah. the customer. And that what Sam Walton, when he was writing that book, Made in America, he was writing it to his children to say, you have to have humility. You have to have, you know, you have to have the ability to really understand your customers. So at, at, at Core Metrics, I had invented this for my own e-commerce business. So I was selling sports nutrition products like power bars, you know, um, you know, vitamins, et cetera. And I was selling those with my wife and we were using these analytics to run our business and we we're able to double our online sales, double our conversion ratio, which is the number of people that are browsing versus buying. Um, and people thought that was miraculous. We had one of the highest conversion ratios and it's because we had the analytics to understand what was going on. And that was what I turned into core metrics. And it became a very successful business with the dot-com companies. Why? Because they were completely struggling with understanding what their ground truth was in, in their business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how people are actually converting or not converting from ads, like how people are navigating the site or not. And frankly, the metrics that they're running their business on were bullshit metrics. They were things like page views and unique visitors. They weren't things like people clicked on this yahoo or google ad and it actually led to a sale they had no clue how they're advertising well that sets you up for a pretty disastrous scenario because if you don't know your metrics as a business um 
you're going to you're going to end up spending a lot we, of money and we still struggle with this today right we're still now talking yes. about the metrics layer and all this and, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's like i want to understand who the user is and what they're clicking well there's a meaning behind this right if there's an intent like those are the things that we should actually be start cataloging I mean, this is what we talk about what i've been pushing on you need to start cataloging understanding the knowledge of what's going exactly. around within your business and in right. particular the ground truth getting close to actually the ground truth of what's happening with the business in in the store in the wherever so you gotta talk to users yeah absolutely and and have the humility to do so i love, uh, I love this, really is a very, this is a very important, important point. takeaway be humble yeah and so 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 with uh with core metrics we provided this huge data warehousing solution where we would capture the clickstream behavior and actually allow them to see for the first time in their history exactly how their ads were converting, exactly how their site was converting or not, exactly how their merchandising promotions were working. And it was nirvana for them. I mean, they fell in love with us. It was amazing. You know, we signed, you know, over a hundred customers in a very short period of time. And then as everybody knows, the dot-com bust happened. And unfortunately we didn't come soon enough. And what I mean by that is that they started to run their business well, but it was too late because they had been running their business so poorly. Mm. So 97 of 100 of our customers went out of business. And now that's horrible if you're running a business. That's huge. It's horrible um, because that means that um, unfortunately we had to let go of two thirds of the people at the company, at our company, which really was painful because we had really good people but we just didn't have the customers anymore. They'd all gone out of business. But then we um, won Walmart and Walmart was so impressed with us that they actually did a press release about their relationship with CoreMetrics um, and just the level of visibility we're providing them. And that formed the basis to create a really big business and really pioneer a lot of the web analytics industry um, and this SaaS model in general. I mean, when I started Core Metrics, this term SaaS didn't exist. Hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, the term ASP, application service provider, also didn't exist. So when I was raising money for the company, I was like waving my arm saying, it's like mainframes and dumb terminals or clients and you servers. You can't just be like, it's in the cloud and everybody right. gets it, right? So it was all these things that, that I was trying to get them to really relate it to um, something they would understand mm. and then the term asp came along and i was like oh, thankfully now at least there's a term that people understand i can speak in shorthand um well that that business was so much fun as we grew it because the lights literally would turn on you would see how someone goes from not being data driven to being data driven and you know customers like eddie bauer and the home depot and you know, Walmart and um, Petco and so many others became so data driven that it created entirely new job categories like web analytics managers that that job didn't exist. You know, a web analytics analyst and people started to put, you know, core metrics on the job descriptions of what they were hiring for, you know, experience with core metrics. And it was so cool to see our customers speak at our client summits about how literally they've transformed their business around the use of data, mm -hmm. of analytics uh, for the first time in the history of e-commerce, this was happening. So it was really cool, very inventive um, and really made me fall in love with data as a tool to create culture change and frankly, create sustainability 
um, and resilience through the toughest of economic times. Um, because these yeah. companies that really embraced that and democratized data throughout the organizations about how the online business was actually working, they became huge. I mean, they, they became the largest divisions of their entire company. And that wasn't obvious at the beginning because remember, there were very few people online yeah. at one point in time. And the numbers were really small. I remember talking with walmart.com back in the day and they told me, yeah, you know, Amazon is like, you know, less than, you know, a couple of Walmart stores, right. all their revenue. Oh, um, well, yeah. now Amazon is the biggest threat to any e-commerce company in the world, right? It's right. How quickly things States. shifted, but... I mean, I think, you know, specifically, I think what's interesting is when you talk about how the challenging economic situation, the dot-com bubble bursting was obviously hugely, hugely difficult for core metrics, but then y'all managed your way out of it. And then you kind of gave an example of how data-driven companies were able to actually do better coming mm -hmm. out of that situation. Are there any other, you know, key takeaways that you really see from, you know, that difficult situation that, you know, as, as you think about other companies that are, are, are looking at challenging situations or the potential difficult economy that we may be stepping into right now, like, is there, like, what else should really folks be thinking about that maybe core metrics or, or just your experience in general? Influences? Well, I actually, this may sound masochistic and I certainly don't mean it that way, but actually thrive in periods like this because, mm. you know, Benjamin Franklin said pain is instructive mm. and pain actually causes focus and focus creates cultural resiliency because if teams come together and say, look, it's not now an option whether or not we understand everything about our business, it is now an imperative then that creates a really beautiful culture. It creates people really pulling together and really learning together and saying, you know, some of the ways that we were doing things before, which frankly were BS, we need to stop doing it that way. Like we don't know the answers yeah. about our business. Like yeah, we're going to be out of business. Yeah, so I mean, mean, this is what we really need to be honest and no BS with ourselves. Like, do we actually know what's going on? And if we don't know, let's actually then figure it out what we don't know right now. And then we need to focus. And I guess, being in situations where you have this pain and you know time is limited, like that helps you get focus, focus, focus. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and it's hard for people to focus if everything is up and to the right in every category. And that's that's where we've been right now. That's the economic environment that we've been operating on. Everybody is a genius for the house they bought. Everybody's a genius for the company they started. Everybody is a genius for, you know, now they've become mm -hmm. a unicorn on. You're you know, a unicorn. Right. You become a right. unicorn. Right. You're a it's unicorn. A, Everybody's a so, unicorn. So what more is, is more create? situation, right? Yeah. What does that create? It creates a tremendous amount of sloppiness. Mm -hmm. And that's why bubbles happen and things, mm -hmm. you know, contract and come back to grassroots, you know, like really ground truth type of efforts. Um, now, Bizarre Voice was a very different type of story. Mm -hmm. Bizarre Voice really popularized the notion of um, customer reviews, which is something that Amazon helped pioneer actually starting, I believe it was, Amazon was founded um, in 1994, and I believe it was 1997 when they first launched customer reviews. And it was really pioneering. I think they were the only retailer in the entire United States at that point in time who had customer reviews. Mm -hmm. 
when we started um when we started bizarre voice in 2005 so think about how much time that was from 1997 to 2005 okay I'm talking about eight years there were still only three retailers in the entire united states who had customer reviews in 2005 okay this was two years before the iphone came out and uh, facebook was closed to the public um, snapchat instagram you know TikTok. none of these things existed so there was this there was this wave of social that was coming and um brant barden and i started uh bizarre voice because we really believed in our heart of hearts that out of everything we had analyzed that worked or didn't work in the e-commerce world that there was a missing element and that was the voice of the customer that's why bizarre voice is named the voice of the customer and it's named bizarre because we wanted to symbolize that it's been happening since the dawn of the earliest sellers since the dawn of like those original bazaars where it's all about the conversations happening and like this spice or that spice and you know that we've been wired that way as human beings to help each other and say oh you really need to go to that vendor he's amazing or she's incredible like she has the best you know you know fruit in all the land or whatever um and that is in a nutshell you know retailing retailing has been driven very largely by word of mouth it's just that they had no ability to listen because it was all happening in stores it was happening in catalogs there was there was no great way to say could i just tap into exactly what customers are telling each other and so bizarre voice really pioneered the ubiquity of customer reviews all over the world grew to over 40 international languages um, today it's a incredibly valuable company that's owned by TH Lee, a private equity firm, but just on a terrific growth path and led by a very good friend of mine, Keith Nealon. But fortunately, I got to be a part of that business as the CEO all the way from inception to an IPO at over a billion dollar valuation. We were one of the original unicorns in Austin. And the data coming out of Bizarre Voice was absolutely incredible. It was so eye-opening to retailers and people that sold through retailers. It would tell you exactly why a product was flying off the shelves because people would tell each other, like, this is why this is the greatest product. Um, it would tell you exactly how to turn a four-star product into a five-star product because people would say, would have rated it five-star if only they would have done this and that. Um, it would tell you exactly why a product was a dog. Like, why was it getting such a high amount of returns? You know, what was what was really going on? People would say, this is why I'm returning it. Now, the process of taking a product in the store and returning it, do you think the person you're returning it to is keen on the back end and communicating with Samsung at, at a Walmart? But with Bizarre Voice, literally Samsung was tapping into the voice of the customer at Walmart and saying, why are people returning Samsungs and being able to redesign it? So the data was amazing the level of ground truth people got was amazing but at that company we went through a great recession which was a very different type of period than the dot-com crash frankly in some ways outside of just the absolute tragedy and horror of 9 11 which followed the dot-com crash in in some ways the great recession was scarier because you had lehman brothers go out of business you had this massive mortgage crisis with all these exotic debt instruments that have been created by banks 
and you just thought it may all be over. This may be a great, this great recession may tip into the great depression. And I was terrified as a CEO because I'd led core metrics through the dot-com bust in 9-11 and, you know, letting go of, you know, two thirds of the team and building back up from there. And at Bizarre Voice, we had just been flying. We'd been beating our numbers, you know, for so long and bam, this meteor just hits us out of nowhere, this, this great recession. And I put the company under a hiring freeze for a six month period, even though we were beating our numbers, because I was like, we don't even know if the people are signing are going to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, this, if this tips into a great depression, maybe a lot of our customers are going to go yeah, out of business. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very clarifying period. Now, fortunately, um, very few of our customers went out of business and the resiliency that was proven by our customers because they really understood the voice of their customers. They really understood why their products were flying off the shelves. They really understood why they were getting high returns was so strong. And it became such a galvanizing force in their company because who doesn't want to know what their customers are saying, right? That's something that everybody in a company can relate to. So that that type of data actually led itself really well to democratization because everybody wanted their hands on that. And frankly, that data in a lot of ways was public because it was literally on their website. You could just go to their website and see it. Of course, we had a tremendous amount of analytical capability and and things like that on the back end for them to analyze it and share, you know, negative reviews with Samsung, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so, you know, we, we ultimately, after six months, took the hiring freeze off. We had beaten our goals the whole time, uh, but it created a lot of resiliency in our company because people really pulled together and made do with less. And that kind of takes us to this period where now we're entering into another period, which may be just as bad or maybe even worse than the great recession. So can, can you mm-hmm. describe how you're seeing this period right now? Because it's, it's, yeah. kind of pat- I mean, there's so much stuff that we're reading, but what is it from your perspective? What, what are in your Yeah. Way? So, so, so there's, there's, there's quite a, quite a few ways to dimensionalize this period. Um, let's talk about it just first from a very selfish kind of, you know, data dot world and tech company oriented, um, you know, kind of private company, VC backed company oriented standpoint. Um, there's a sawtooth pattern that, that, um, that comes with VC investing and frankly, with growing tech companies. And it's basically a pattern that goes kind of up and to the right. And we've been in this up and to the right period for a long period of time. And the, and the up and to the right is the amount of comp, um, capital being deployed and the amazing exits that are happening, whether those are IPOs or, or private transactions. And we've been in a period of enormous um, windfalls, mm-hmm. like record VC profits, record VC capital raised, um, a pandemic backdrop, which showed that tech was the most lucrative place to be in. It actually enabled remote work. You had companies like Zoom zooming into the stratospheric heights of valuations, um, a very, very exciting period for me being an entrepreneur for a long period of time, um, you know, since, uh, 1998, it was a period where I was, I really felt like 
okay, a lot of the things we've always been talking about that the internet would do are now being realized at massive scale across the world. I think that would be true, right? Mm -hmm. That, 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 and, and by the way, that is still true um, in this period. Um, but the sawtooth, when it goes from a risk on perspective to a risk off, it just crashes. And Bill Gurley has some really, really good content on this. He's one of the longest time uh, VC backers. He's actually a UT Austin grad, you know, hook him horns and, you know, guy that, that uh, probably was here in Austin. And Bill Gurley, you know, is famous for being at Benchmark and he, uh, you know, Benchmark's famous for, you know, WeWork and, you know, so many mm -hmm. companies, like so, so many companies, one of the best VCs in the world. And the sawtooth pattern, when it crashes, it crashes very fast. It's not like a, it's going to crash over two, three years. It just crashes. It's like risk off immediately. And that's the period we're in right now where a lot of these unicorns that had raised so much money, now they're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to raise any money at all. Mm -hmm. That's just our kind of cosm of our, our, our data tech world yes. right now. Okay. What's happening in other parts of the economy? lot of places are going to be hurting um you know mortgages mm -hmm. that's probably that's probably gonna that you know housing housing prices are probably going to fall um you know consumer demand probably going to fall why because the fed is raising rates because they're trying to stop inflation they don't want out of control inflation that's really bad and you can look at many many countries you know, throughout the world, you know, Venezuela, you name it, yeah, that yeah. have gone through periods of you let that go unfettered and that can get very bad. It can get very bad very quickly. And the reason the Fed stimulated so much, as we know, is because we have we had a pandemic where we literally turned off the economy um, to protect ourselves and the hospital system mm -hmm. and everything else. And by the way, this happened worldwide. Oh, mm -hmm. by the way, there's also a war too mm -hmm. going on that we don't talk about as much anymore but is a very real and devastating thing going on. And my heart is with uh, the Ukrainian people. Um, it's a really, really tragic time. I know that we've done a lot at data.world to, to give and to, um, to really, you know, try to do our part there. Um, but it's a time which is really, it's really sad what's happening um, there. And, and so all of this is happening at the same time. And we've been in the longest run bull market, you know, maybe ever. Mm -hmm. um, so we're in a risk off environment right now. What does that mean for data is a very interesting question, I think. So, okay. I think there, we've had so many takeaways that we've been taking here a lot of notes, but I want to go dive into kind of tactical things that data leaders should be doing right now. I mean, from what we've talked about, a key thing is to really understand your customer, right? That's been a threat, a, a kind of a continuous threat around this. I think another thing is that we need to just be honest about when we're being sloppy and let's make sure that we're getting the right metrics. Uh, and I think and focus, focus, focus. So, I mean, we were talking earlier is like, like there's just so many jargons and so many, like there's so much bullshitty stuff going on in the data world. Yes. What are the things that we should be focusing on as a data community, as, a, as an industry right now that, that we, it's time for us to focus? Well, probably the leader that I personally look up to the most is Warren Buffett, because Warren Buffett has been the most successful investor in the United States for such a long period of time. And 
so he's highly credible. Like he's got a you know track record that's kind of unparalleled. Um, but the way he talks is in a way that everybody can understand. It's the most inclusive language that you could think of. It's it's language that everybody can understand. Like he's he's like everybody's favorite grandfather or something. You know, he can just and and it, and you know I've I've been to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting several times. Um, shout out to my good friend Phil Terry on uh, taking me to those, and those are like watching Aristotle or Plato, but they're capitalist. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 it's, it's amazing. Like it's much about philosophy as anything else, and. I like to take a page out of Warren Buffett's book for the data space and say, look, okay, I understand the need for shorthand. I talked about earlier ASP and when that term came along and I was like, yes, now finally people understand, you know, something in shorthand about what I'm doing. I don't have to go through the 10 minute, you know, explanation of mainframes and dumb terminals and clients and servers. Um, but in the case of the data space, I don't think I've ever seen a more jargon-filled space than the data space. Honestly. We love our lingo. We we do love our lingo. So, so what is the what is the big picture? What is the no BS picture here? That kind of ties these threads together. Core metrics, bizarre voice, data dot world, and the lessons learned. Mm -hmm. The big picture is that data are the facts about something. It's the facts about your customers in a business. It's the facts about how well your locations are performing in a business. It's the facts about your employees. It's the facts about, you know, the economic trends that you're seeing in the business from your suppliers. It's the facts about everything that you need to actually run the business. You know, you think about the dot-com days, they were flying blind. Mm -hmm. Companies in a recessionary time cannot fly blind. They cannot get caught up in jargon. And the thing that bugs me about this space, this data space that's so jargon filled is that it's so jargon filled that it's very polarizing. Yes. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's something where people are afraid to engage because they'll sound stupid. And by the way, you do need to be pretty smart and pretty mathematical to really understand data. Um, and that's why those people are so highly paid, you know, data scientists and data analysts and data engineers, and, and they deserve to be, I mean, they've, 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 they've gone through lots and lots of schooling, lots and lots of training to get to where they are. They're really doing heroes work in their organizations. Um, but there's a lot of people that are very intimidated. Mm -hmm. about what they do because they're speaking all this jargon that people don't understand. And those people, what they need is they just need the facts to run their business, um, which everybody benefits from if the business is run well, like everybody makes more money, everybody gets more promotions, everybody looks smart. You know, you come home for Thanksgiving everybody thinks you're a genius because your company is up and to the right during recessionary times. So recessionary times are very, very focusing and data becomes more important in recessionary times because of that, it becomes more about how do you be an efficient business? How do you right. cut out the sloppiness? It becomes more about how do you identify new revenue lines? How do you pivot from industries you're selling into, which are so risk off that they're not buying anything? Mm -hmm. You know, we had to do that at data.world you 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 both remember 
when we entered into the pandemic, mm -hmm. it became so risk off that we had one of the largest cruise lines in the world that we were about to sign who sailed off and we didn't know if they were going to sail back. You know, <laughs> they were it, probably it, wondering if their business was going to yeah, continue yeah, to exist. Right. Yeah. And, you know, fortunately, we did later sign <laughs> a cruise line. But it was, you know, post uh, post the, you know, the worst part the of stages, the pandemic. Yeah. We're still in a pandemic, mm -hmm. but but, you know, now it's more endemic. Mm -hmm. So data becomes really clarifying and really important in an environment like this. And my favorite company and literally my favorite CEO today in tech is Brian Chesky, mm -hmm. because Brian Chesky not only is really humble if you listen to him and really smart if you listen to him, but he also navigated Airbnb through the worst part of the pandemic where he almost, you know, fell flat on his face and the team almost fell flat on mm -hmm. their face because of lack of capital, had to take a big debt round, then navigated to an amazing IPO, has put up amazing numbers since. It's highly, highly profitable now. Has created an entirely new way that you can even work. Um, you know, that's his most his, his most recent narrative around mm -hmm. how you can just travel around the world and stay at Airbnbs and, you know, creating new business lines, creating new categories. Um, but the thing I really love about Airbnb is their fifth employee was a data scientist mm. and Airbnb was really smart about cataloging their data from the beginning of their company. My favorite personal cataloging cocktails episode was the one with Jeff Fang, mm -hmm. who was the one that led that team of Airbnb. at Airbnb. 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 That was just such a great episode. I think he's actually our first guest i'll have to go look into it i think so really first external guest yes oh maybe i don't yeah. know i have to go check uh, yeah he was definitely was, early on so. yeah it was yeah, very early yeah. on that was uh, such a good episode um but i mean look at how being data driven can lead to success through the right. worst of times because a lot of people are going to experience some really tough times over the next couple of years as the reality of the economic malaise sets in of what we're entering into mm -hmm. um but Airbnb experienced it in their direct category in the pandemic. The last thing you wanted to be in a pandemic was a travel company. Right. It was the last thing you wanted to be. I mean, right? compare that to the the cruise company you just mentioned versus Airbnb. Right. I mean, they're, right. they they deal with the same dynamics, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I mean, one one thing I'd like to do real quick is just tie some of these things together. So, yeah, like you sure. talked about the inclusivity of of language and simplifying talked about being data driven, talked about having data people in your company and making that a core competency of your company to come back to that statement about inclusivity of language. So is this all important? Because like when things get tough, you want to get back to what really matters. And that's what does the data mean? What is truly what the customers are asking for? What really is the simple, most important stuff that I should be focused on that I can roll back to and really and then and then extend from there and regrow from there? Is, is that kind of the core thread here? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's exactly what it is. It's 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 taking that data team and really unleashing them throughout the organization to be able to become true data heroes, to basically be able to come in there and say, I actually have the answers you need to run the business. So the more data becomes democratized during these times, the more resilient these companies 
are going to be. And the more the data engineers and the data scientists and the data analysts and others are going to be celebrated during this time because they are now so much more of a necessity. But that's only if we talk about it inside these companies in a way where we explain the jargon in a way that any human being can understand. I mean, almost any concept you think about in the world can be explained to a fifth grader if you do it in a in a patient way. Right. If you actually talk to them in a way like Warren Buffett would talk to them and that's what's needed. Um, versus the disarming language that, frankly, people are like, I don't understand yeah, this. Give that this to is, the brain. This, this is a great challenge I think we should all go through. So whatever you're working on, whatever you're trying, it, you need to be able to explain it to a fifth grader. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there, look, we're, we could keep talking. We need to get into our lightning round soon. But there's one topic I want to get to, which is on B Corps. Talk us about what is a B Corp and why a B Corp and, and how you've been driving this, because I think this is game changer. Oh, this is game. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate the question. I love pioneering the B Corp movement here at Data.World in a tech business. It's been a very popular movement in CPG companies like Patagonia and Ben and & Jerry's and many others for a long period of time. But let me just define what a B Corp is, because mm -hmm. a lot of people still don't know. A B Corp is a for-benefit company which has a very strong social mission that is actually a protected asset of the company. When investors invest in the company, they know that they're investing under that guise. Mm -hmm. They know that that's the deal that they're signing up for. And we've been a B Corp since our launch on July 11th, 2016. And the thing that we're protecting is the ability to democratize the most important open data to the world so that they can work on climate change, they can work on cancer, they can work on poverty, they can work on nutrition together um, to hopefully create big breakthroughs in humanity. And one of the most active data sets on data.world is the B Corp data set mm -hmm. where people are analyzing B Corps. It's really, really cool that, that that's happening. Um, so a B Corp is something that I think is a great evolution for where where i've seen you know my evolution as an entrepreneur um because one of the things i've talked about for a long time as an entrepreneur is that a company if you treat it this way actually has a soul if you think about a company as an embodiment of people mm -hmm. that have a collective soul a collective mission that they're on you know a lot of companies have a good brain, because frankly, if they didn't, they wouldn't be in business. Um, fewer companies have a really good heart, but it's the rare company has a really good soul. Like Airbnb has a great soul. You could see it, you know, you can see the energy and their team, et cetera. I think data.world has a great soul. Um, and a B Corp is a great manifestation of nourishing that soul. It's an evolution in capitalism. It's, it's like capitalism 2.0. Um, and there's a great documentary called The Corporation, which actually explores the roots of corporations in the United States. And some of the original corporations in the U.S. actually were more like public works projects. Mm. Now, this doesn't mean that a B Corp can't be profitable. It should be highly profitable. It doesn't mean... So it's not a nonprofit. Right? Yeah. yeah. Actually, wasn't there... Uh... 
Lemonade, the IPO. Yeah, Lemonade they're in, went they're public. That's a that's an Israeli company that went public. That was B Corp since the beginning. Viva Systems actually was already public uh, at the time. Had a forty billion dollar market cap. Converted into a B Corp with ninety nine percent of shareholder approval. Mm. Um, so they converted from a C to B. Um, so it's becoming a trend in tech, which is great. Mm -hmm. But I think a trend in capitalism in general is people really caring. You know, we talk about no BS mm -hmm. on catalog and cocktails, really caring about whether or not their company is making a difference, whether or not the mission that they're on is actually going to make a difference in the world. We have a lot of problems to solve in the world. Um, and a B Corp is a manifestation of that. So I love the fact that, I, you know, I don't know, I can't even tell you right now what another B Corp is in the data space. Can you think of one? I don't know if there's one. Not offhand. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm I mean, sure there's it, something, but not, not offhand. There yeah. probably is one, right? Mm -hmm. But we need to change that. Mm -hmm. um, and just in tech in general, we need to change. And, and, and it's because this is what the next generation is calling on us to do. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter, who's 17, she's going to ask people when she goes into the workforce one day, she's going to ask them, are they a B Corp? And right now the question is, what is a B Corp? You know, usually. Right. But I, 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 you know, mark my words, I'm pretty good at predicting trends. I've had a good track record of that. Um, 10 to 15 years from now, people are going to be asking, why are you not a B Corp versus okay. what is that? Um, and it's because it's just the natural evolution of, of, of capitalism. And it's a natural evolution of humanity to get more and more intentional, you know, no matter what that is, think about all the things that we've overcome throughout human history that we look back in horror that we even did, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, even 50 years ago. Right. Um, so I, I really think that this is going to be the natural mode of capitalism at some point in history. Right. Well, and I think a lot about um, Dan Pink and autonomy, mastery and purpose. And, mm -hmm. and people are craving purpose, right? People you know? are craving purpose. Yeah, Simon and, Sinek, and hiring, you know, right? I mean, people mm -hmm. want to go work also for places that have a purpose right and, yeah. and it's not a it's not a bullshitty purpose like there's actually a social yeah, not like, just a plaque well, on the wall yeah, it's embedded right. in the operating yeah, and, it's, the it's, company, right? and it's not to mm -hmm. be confused with corporate social responsibility initiatives kind of mm -hmm. csr initiatives which you know look i'm not saying those are bad those are any evolution is a good thing mm -hmm. but um it is seen as more marketing mm -hmm. you know than actually systematically upgrading the operating system of your company to have a very strong social mission from the foundation, from kind of the studs because of the home. Th right. There's actually evaluation, right? There's, what is it, B-Labs, or do they actually do an evaluation for the company? Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's very data-driven. So B-Lab, um, if you become a certified B Corp, they will actually do an evaluation on whether or not you pass the bar. And all of that data is on data.world, available for free. That, that data set gets a lot of collaboration because there's so many universities now where people are there really analyzing this new mode of capitalism. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. I mean, I really think that, you know, one of our investors is John Mackey mm -hmm. and John Mackey, um, you know, told me, um, later on in his evolution with us, he's been a mentor to me for a long time. And he wrote the forward to my book, um, the entrepreneur's essentials. He said, you know, if I start another company, Brett, like learning what I've learned about you guys now, I would do it as a B Corp. 
Mm. Odudas B Corp. That 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 corporate form didn't That's exist awesome. at the beginning yeah. of Whole Foods. How cool is that? Yeah. You know, John freaking Mackey like saying that. That is a beautiful thing. Excuse us to start wrapping up. You have a book. I do have a book. I do have a book. And um, in the no BS tradition of this podcast, I'm actually not trying to make any profits on this book at all. All the proceeds from this book, um, The Entrepreneur's Essentials, go to the Kendra Scott Women's Entrepreneurial Leadership Initiative at UT Austin, which primarily supports women of color. Um, not because that's how they focus, just because that's mm -hmm. who's showing up that needs the most mentorship and help at UT, which is awesome um, because they're going to change their communities as they become successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So this is really a gift back. This has taken me uh, 13 months um, and weekends um, to get it to this point. And it's really my best lessons learned um, on you know founding a company, mm -hmm. building companies, and then paying back and helping, whether you're investing mm -hmm. or trying to you know, shape the next generation. And, um, and yeah, I'm really proud that all the proceeds are going to, uh, to, to that program at UT Austin. And I'm actually doing a conversation tomorrow with the Dean of the business school, a proud woman named Lil Mills, um, at UT Austin, mm -hmm. um, the Dean of McCombs, and we're going to explore concepts in this book and just concepts in the program overall. So if anybody's tuning into this live, I know that th this will be past the date, uh, by the time maybe they listen to this in a podcast app, mm -hmm. you know, feel free to join us tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we can keep talking. It's always for um, hours yeah. and hours of stuff. We'll have to like do part two, two at some it. point. And I know no, we're going to talk about hiring that, and things like that. No, so but, the, that, that's awesome. And this has been a fantastic conversation mm -hmm. because we've gone through like so many different topics and it all goes back to data, but it's like the reality of mm -hmm. what's going on. But hey, let's move on to the lightning round, yeah. which is sponsored by data.world, the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. And I'm going to go first. I got my first question here. Go so when economic times get tough, should you pause hiring? It really depends on your business and how much your business is affected. Mm -hmm. um, we're not pausing hiring at data.world, um, but there are certain companies that have already paused hiring, you know, mm -hmm. Meta paused hiring, for example, Facebook. Mm -hmm. We saw Snap's results this week. Um, I haven't kept track since the initial drop in the stock, but it dropped over 40% in one day because of the advertising industry starting to go into a funk because mm -hmm. of fears of the, uh, well, not just fears, but actual reality of what they're seeing. Um, so that's, that's kind of a macroeconomic barometer, which is, which is really worrying. Mm -hmm. So I bet you snaps not hiring right now. Um, so it depends on how much your business is affected. I think the focus has to be on very intelligent hiring. And yeah. we've spent a lot of time at data.world with our board of directors internally, really analyzing our plans and our budget um to make sure that we get the best roi for that and the best use of that 50 million dollars that we raised from goldman sachs mm -hmm. and you can imagine that goldman sachs is pretty good at financial modeling <laughs> <laughs> a lot of their business depends on it right um, go tim um can you teach being data driven or is it really more of like you got to hire people who are data driven i personally think it can be taught mm -hmm. um i think that the natural human condition is to want to know the truth mm -hmm. and the truth lies in data because again it's the facts mm -hmm. about business so i think the challenge in teaching it and teaching people to be data driven is to use 
natural language, you know, human language, as opposed to a bunch of acronyms and buzzwords that make people feel stupid, kind of like right from the beginning, because right. it's like you're talking Greek and they are, you know, someone's talking Greek to you and you just have no idea how to decipher it. It's almost like you need the Rosetta Stone of buzzword bingo mm -hmm. to figure out what people are saying. Yeah. All right. Next question. Will data technology companies overperform in a tough economic times? Yes, I think I think that data companies are really well poised overall um, during these times because of what I said earlier, that that there's going to be an incredible amount of focus on um, data and the facts about a business. Um, the challenge for data companies is to adapt their message in a way that people really understand the benefit of data in these times, because an overreaction in these economic times is people just stop spending on anything, mm -hmm. whether that's smart or not. You know, you want to you want to do intelligent spending, intelligent investments in your business. Um, but I'm personally very bullish on the data space. I mean, I'm the CEO of data.world, but I've also been making investments in non-competitive data companies that are publicly mm -hmm. traded because I actually think this is a good time to buy be yeah. a buyer of some of those companies, they're, companies they're gonna, like Datadog, companies like Snowflake, et cetera. They're going to help these companies be more data driven yes. right, to our to our, our topics earlier. Um, so a last uh, lightning round question. Um, we talked about B Corps. Should all corporations be B Corps? Um, I think that it's largely a reflection of the people that are leading the company, hmm. whether or not they want to take that step of nourishing the soul of the company. Um, and I don't mean that in a crass way, mm. but there are some people that they just show up to work and they just, it's almost like that TV show severance on Apple plus, they don't really want to be there and they just want to make money and they just want to go home and their life begins when they get home and they walk in the door. Mm -hmm. I I'm really sad about that, that, that there are people like that. I mean, you know, when I graduated from, the Warden School, which was kind of like, you know, really known for finance, is still really known for finance. Mm -hmm. And I graduated with a degree in high tech entrepreneurship. Um, there were a lot of I helped found the technology club there and the entrepreneurship club there. And there were a lot of classmates that were in those clubs with me that uh, said, hey, you know, what are you doing after school? I was like, I'm you know, of course, starting core metrics, like, you know, I've, I've been running it while I've been here and I'm mm -hmm. like really bullish on it. And, you know, it seems like an amazing setup. And I didn't know the dot-com bust was happening um, <laughs> or, or going to happen. Yeah. But I was like, you know, I'm, I'm racing towards that. And they were like, man, I'm so jealous. I, I really wish I was doing that. I was like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm going to go work at, you know, this in this bank or this in this, um, you know, it, you know, investment bank or whatnot. And I would be like, that's awesome, man. You're gonna you're gonna do so so well there. I mean, you're making a lot more money than me for a, you know, maybe forever, but you know, yeah. certainly certainly out of the gates because I'm making this much, yeah, <laughs> zero. Like, I get paid and, in uh, passion, right? And they said, and they would say, yeah, you know, I think you're right. Like, you know, I'm probably gonna save up a couple of million, and then I'll start a business, and I'll do it from that position of strength. Well, what happens if you go into something where you know that you're just there for the paycheck? Hmm. You reward yourself in other ways. You reward yourself with material items because you are so miserable at your job. 
And so that's what they did. And zero of them became entrepreneurs. They never made that pivot back. So it's, you're much better off just going to a company where you really believe in the passion and the purpose of it from the beginning, because that will drive you. It'll bring out the best in you. And that's a life well lived mm -hmm. versus just going for a paycheck. And I hope we don't have anybody at data.world that's just coming here for the paycheck. I don't think we do, but you know, we're, we're, we're all about purpose here. Right. Well, that, that's, I think that's a really great way to portray that. And it sounds like the answer there is kind of, it's kind of yes, but it's like we, but we have to all get there. We need to move, like it has to be, we have to get our have to be expectations and our motivations in that direction. Right. right. And, and by the way, I just want to be clear. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the companies that aren't B Corps are soulless. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, a lot of these companies were founded before B Corps even existed. Right. I'm just saying, I personally know a lot of people who don't really give a shit about purpose that are really just there for the paycheck. And different things motivate that, different people. And those companies probably shouldn't be B Corps yep. because yeah. that would just be when that would truly be a lie. Right? What, but what if the B Corp mission was make lots of money? Well, that, I guess that's the same as <laughs> that's a C Corp. <laughs> it, has to have, it has to have a strong social, social benefit. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that's just money. It's breaking the model a yes. if they do that. All right. This is awesome. All right. Yeah. This is fantastic. And it's uh T T T T. Yeah, take let's, us away. Take away some takeaways. So I mean, first of all, you 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 walked through your experiences, right? And 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 really tied that to not just what how that defines you as a, as an entrepreneur in the data space and and sort of your experiences there, but also how you've had to weather these complex and difficult situations, the dot-com bubble, for example, the Great Recession, for example. And they were both difficult and difficult in very different ways. And they affected the different companies that you're in in different ways. And some core threads were that, like, for example, like Cormetrics, you talked about how, like, you didn't, you, you really focused on what mattered. And you really focused on, like, be humble, right? As a way to really get through those times, don't use bullshit metrics and information, right? Focus on the metrics that really matter and really came to the reality that not just with core metrics, but actually your customers, right? That the companies that were really focused on being data driven were the ones that were going to weather those difficult times, right? So that's, that's huge. It seems kind of obvious, but I think actions are really the key thing. Can we tie our actions to that? Um, and when everything is great, uh, things can get sloppy. So you have to make sure that, you know, you don't just get sloppy in great times. And when things get painful, pain, the silver lining is that pain can cause focus, right? And focus means that you can create that cultural resiliency. And then when you talked about Bizarre Voice, you talked about how customers really can tell you what it is that you need to know about your business. So being data-driven also means really understanding your customers, understanding your business and what makes it tick. And if you do have to take action, like you do need to do that hiring freeze, for example, right? At, at Bizarre, uh, Bizarre Voice, where you, you froze hiring for six months or at Core Metrics, where you had to let go of two thirds of the people, those were very difficult decisions, but you made those decisions um, you know, proactively, right? To be able to say, hey, we have to do this and we cannot wait. Right. Um, and, and being proactive in those situations ended up being really important. Um, and, and Juan, what about you? What, what, are, what are your big well, takeaways? I think so. The main thread here is talk to the customer, talk to the end user. That's mm -hmm. really I mean, that 
we see this all the time that we're lacking from this. That is one of the main threads around this. I loved how you you talked about Warren Buffett and about like we need to be able to kind of talk about things simply, right? Like we have all this jargon and this is an industry where we have so many buzzwords for mm -hmm. God's sake. So we need to be able to have an inclusive language. I really really liked about that. Like we should be able to go explain anything to a fifth grader. I mean th that's literally how we should be able to start thinking about what we're doing. Um, and to understand the, the, the big picture, all this data is really facts. And we need to know the facts about our customers, our leads, our prospect, the economic trends. I mean, and you want these facts so you can actually make decisions that so that can improve your life, improve your business. I mean, that's really how we have to go th think about this stuff. And then on the public benefit uh, corporation, right? It's a, it's a company with a protected social mission. Um, and it's a it's a manifestation of a company who has a soul, right? Capitalism 2.0 is what you're talking about, and and I think uh, not everybody may be for that, and that's fine. And I think that's the honest no BS here that we need to mm -hmm. acknowledge. How did yeah, I well, I think I think you both recapped it extremely well. I would I would also just say that um, the counter argument to a B Corp, you know, because there will be people listening to this saying why would I take that extra step? Right. Like, isn't the purpose of a corporation just to make money and then people can do whatever they want on their own time? Yeah. Like, you know, give to whatever causes, et cetera. And I frankly think that that's a lazy answer. That's like rooted in the past. And entrepreneurs are all about the future and creating mm -hmm. change. Um, and it's a lazy answer because it requires no thinking. It's like, you know, that was the way it's always been and the way it always will be. Um, profits are super important. A company can't mm -hmm. survive without it. And you need to be best in class and model against best in class, whether you be corp or not. Um, but it is a choice. Mm -hmm. And one of the great books that I loved um, from a warden professor, Stu Friedman, who really took me under his wing, has become a very good friend over now a long period of time, over 20 years. He was our leadership professor and he wrote a book called Total Leadership. Mm -hmm. And in Total Leadership, he talked about that there's these four major dimensions of your life. There's self, there's your family, there's your community, and there's your career. And if you think about solving problems with a four-way win versus just solving them with one win, mm. you will come up with very creative solutions. Um, and we've seen a lot of very create, creative solutions because necessity is the mother of invention during the pandemic. I mean, you know, some of the things that have happened that I explore in my book are that we've learned we can be highly efficient in a hybrid environment in the knowledge economy. We, we've learned we can be highly productive working from home and then come together like we came together today for this all hands and really reestablish that human connection that's so important that can be done in person. Um, so that that relates a lot to a B Corp. Like you can have it all as a company. Mm -hmm. You can have great profits and you can have a strong social mission and you can have a strong soul. And you're making a choice whether or not to go on that journey mm -hmm. or do you just want to go on the journey that everybody else has trod before you and just be only about profits and say what you do outside of that is whatever. And I, I'm making that choice. This is my sixth business. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that that's my counter argument to their counter argument, because I know that we're going to get into yeah. counter arguments anyway. So, <laughs> um, but that that's really the way I think about it. 
Uh, all that. Right. And, and if folks who are listening are, are interested to join the conversation, you know, jump in on LinkedIn and YouTube, and then let's talk more about yeah, B Corps. Let's talk more about data-driven businesses. And we'll be and sharing all these links. You've pointed to so many uh, people and books and links. So we'll be, we'll be sharing with them. I will say one thing about the book too, mm -hmm. that um, if you don't want to pay for it, although you will be benefiting female entrepreneurs, yeah. um, you're not benefiting me. I'm not making a dollar off this. Um, you can get the whole book for free online at theentrepreneursessentials.com. And the reason I did that is because two of my favorite books in my history as an entrepreneur um, have been The Bootstrapper's Bible by Seth Godin mm. and The Clue Train Manifesto uh, by Christopher Lockhead and a bunch of others, um, which uh, The Clue Train Manifesto, there's a chapter four called Markets or Conversations, which literally translated um, the name of Bizarre Voice. You know, bizarre voice is markets or conversations, mm -hmm. um, and it inspired me and Brent to start an entire company around that concept, and it created over a billion dollar outcome. I mean, it was amazing, amazing journey, and 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 just created lots of change in the world. And now we'll never know a world without customer reviews. It's everywhere, yeah. Um, which we're all better for it because it's encapsulated that word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So they gave their book away for free online. And that way, no matter what kind of entrepreneur you are, if you can't afford to buy a book, I understand. I've been there when I got married. I must have no money. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's also available for free online. And, it makes, and that makes it easy to link to yeah. because you might want to share. Well, and do both, right? Yeah. Buy the book and yeah. check it out online. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm -hmm. So final question, who should invite next? Well, um, today, actually, I realized that one of the most amazing CEOs you could invite is also based here in Austin, Andrew I of CloseLoop.ai, because the way they're innovating with data in the healthcare space is so cool. Um, so I would invite Andrew I. I would really invite Andrew I. And, and one thing I want to say, too, just because we did finish our all hands, hmm. is congratulations to you, Mr. Tim Gasper. Oh, you just got a culture award um, in front of the entire company. Thank you. And that was a really special moment. You're you're only the second time a manager level person has won the quarterly culture award, which I at our company, that. you know, as you know, everybody nominated you for that. It was people, Congratulations. you know, your, your, your peers yeah. and, I'm blushing. and your team that I'm blushing. nominated you for that. So oh, thank know, you right. so much. Appreciate well, just to wrap up, I, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening, please reach out to us. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to get your feedback. Uh, you can just reach out directly to me at Juan at data.world or just find us on LinkedIn. We'd love to get your feedback on everything we're doing. I do want to call out on people who have been reaching out to us. I want to call out to somebody very special. Uh, Cody Pastini, she reached out to us a couple weeks ago. And, and I met her in person at DGIQ at the conference in, in the, last December. Mm -hmm. And I'm just reading out. She says, I'm an avid listener to your podcast. I want to thank you and Tim for the awesome one hour every Wednesday. I love data, but I was super unhappy and lost in my career. Your episode about data product manager changed my trajectory. And I'm honestly, I'm super thankful because I don't think I would have adjusted course if your podcast wasn't a thing. Uh, Cody, she is now a data product manager at Fender Music. Like that's a super cool company to be working at. She's leading this. Uh, first of all, thank you, Cody, for being an awesome listener. And uh, and I, I'm, we're just super amazed and thrilled yeah. and honored that we can I mean, be able to, to impact other your people's podcast lives. is changing lives that's all so it's, it's we would love to hear from awesome. you and please tell us what you like what you don't like 
be honest and no BS with everybody. Next week, we have Kiran Dines, who is a CPO of Matillion. We get into more of the ETL space and the modern data stack. Mm -hmm. And with that, uh, as always, thanks to data.world who lets us do this every Wednesday. Yeah, uh, cheers. And cheers, cheers guys. Button. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks yeah. for all your great work at data.world too. Like a lot of people don't see behind the scenes that you actually have a full-time day job and <laughs> you both do it really well. So it's an honor right. to work with you both. Cheers. Cheers, this everyone. Have a great catalog and cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire catalog and cocktails fan base.